When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Dylan, the show that celebrates the music of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly. And our pal, John Glenn, is back. Hi, John. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. How are you? Really good. Really good. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. Uh, We are here to talk about Man in the Long Black Coat, which uh, closes out side one, because I'm old enough to remember sides, of, uh, of uh, Dylan's 1989 album, Oh Mercy, produced by Daniel Lenoir. And this is, uh, I'd say, a, you know, one of a long list of Dylan songs where some spooky guy wanders into town, yeah. messes everything up for everybody, and then departs. And everyone is left with the wreckage. Of that, you've got the Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, and then later on Tempest, you've got Tin Angel. Uh, it reminds me a bit of uh, Black Jack Davy, the old folk song, which of course Dylan himself covered. Uh, John, why did you want to cover this one? Well, I this has always been one of my favorite Dylan songs from the moment I heard it, and um, I love the the cinematic sweep of this song. I mean, it's a it's I consider this one of his epics, although. Probably time length wise, it doesn't fit in with songs that otherwise would be like an epic song, like uh, Black Diamond Bay or uh, even like Tin Angel, like mm-hmm. these really long songs. But just in the short time that this song goes, it's got epic feel to it and it's got this cinematic sweep where you almost picture it like a short film or something. And, um, it's, and I find it creepy and spooky and macabre, and morbid, and I wish every one of his albums had a song like this. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, but I'm really excited to talk about the song, either about the lyrics or the recording, because another thing I love about this song is, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm 40 years old, so, you know, like, I listen to Dylan completely out of order, minus, like, the albums that came out in my lifetime. So I, for, I, I forget when I listened to Oh Mercy um, for the first time, but it was probably um, early 2000s. And, you know, so, but at, the, but at the time it was released, it was the last album that he recorded in the 80s, right? It was recorded in 1989. Mm-hmm. And it comes after a string of very <laughs> bad albums. I mean, I like Empire Burlesque, um, but I, I, you know, when I say I like it, I mean, I say like, I, I think I, you know, I, you know, I can listen to it. Um, but then the albums after that were what? Uh, Down in the Groove. Yeah, uh, Knocked Out Loaded. Knocked out loaded. And then Dawn, Dylan and the Dead, Dylan the live the album. Dead. Yeah. And so if you include Empire Burlesque in that song, which a lot of people didn't like, you're basically, you could be at the nadir of Bob Dylan albums. And, and where he's just on a losing streak. And then Oh Mercy must have came out in 1989. And thanks to Daniel Lanois, who supposedly had like kind of a, you know, not the friendliest relationship with, uh, it seems like they really like struggled to, to uh, you know, in the recording studio, uh, in 1989, at, at, I think it was released late in the year, uh, Oh Mercy comes out and I'm, I like you, I heard it first on cassette. So man in the long black coat comes at the end of side one and side one is great song after great song, you know, 
and it is just a fun album to listen to. And I think, and it's like the first time he's using the the kind of voice you hear now, that grizzled old, just you know, grizzled. That's, I guess it's the best thing, you know, it's like <laughs> deep growl of a voice where he he really experiments with it in this album. Uh, yeah, I would say every, virtually everything about this album uh, suggests uh, a rethink of yeah. what he was doing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would absolutely say that the, the stretch of albums going from Real Live, the 1984 Real life, right. live yeah. album, through Dylan and the Dead are his worst albums. I, if, you, yeah. if, you, if you rated all 40 albums, I would say the bottom five are all these five in a row. So right. he was, and in they a, all came in a row, and they all came in a row. So yeah. he was in a bad space. He really, apparently, was not terribly happy with his contract that he had with Columbia Records, and he was really just digging through the files, slapping nine songs together, and said, "Here's an album." And yeah. I mean, like the cover art to "Knocked Out Loaded" looks like it was destined for a cutout bin. I mean, it looks cheap. Everything about this album, for the fact, that, hey, yes, as you mentioned, he works with Daniel Lenoir, who clearly wanted to put a lot more sort of of like a like a sound uh, what's the word i'm looking for kind of soundscape. like soundscape that's it that's it exactly a yeah. soundscape around i mean first of all this has got crickets i mean literally you hear yeah. the, the sounds this is as you mentioned it's very cinematic i mean the opening lyrics sets the stage as to where we are it's crickets are chirping the water is high there's a soft cotton dress on the line hanging dry window wide open african trees bent over backwards from a hurricane breeze not a word of goodbye, not even a note. She gone with the man in the long black coat. Okay, I'm in a place yeah. now. I know where, this right. is not a good place to be in this town. It's probably in the middle of nowhere. There's no, yeah. uh, probably any very little electricity. Uh, it's probably people right. living very hard scrabble lives. And then uh, in terms of the album, I mean, even the cover, I think, is unique. It's got a painting. Uh, on a brick wall. It's one of my favorite uh, Dylan album sleeves. This is the first Dylan album I ever bought new. Uh, This this was really the first one. I discovered him through the Woolberries, as I've mentioned many times on the show. And it was like, oh, let me get a whole album of this guy. And this was the album that was out. This was the new album. And it's funny because this is a very atypical Dylan album because he didn't generally work with a producer like Daniel Lenoir, who put a lot of stuff behind it. And you would think it wouldn't work because Dylan, I would say Dylan at his best is when he's gets to be uh, improvisational and, 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 and loose. And you would think that these soundscapes that Lenoir is sort of putting on these songs wouldn't work, but yet it seemed to, because this, you talk about again, Dylan singing, I love his whisper in this. He's got yeah. this – it's right up in your ear, but it's a whisper like the guy who is singing is decimated by what the, what has happened to him already and as the song already begins. Yeah, and it's – and it's that when his voice comes in – well, first of all, the beginning of the song before his voice comes in is like its own little movie. Like you said, there's crickets chirping. I guess off the top of my head, I can't think of any other like sound effect that begins a Dylan song. You know, no, like, it's very – even within Lanois songs, this one's yeah. unique. So it starts out with the crickets chirping, then like there's a bass note, and then when that harmonica kicks in, it reminds me a lot um, of like the Sergio Leone movie, Once Upon a Time in the West. I don't know if you if you've ever seen. Yeah, it. I would say yes. I, so I in Ch- Charles Bronson's harmonica, you always you know, there are a couple of parts in the movie where you hear it before you see him, and everybody kind of turns around to see where the harmonica is coming from, you know. <laughs> and so, and then you're right, that voice, it, it's it's uh, it's husky. And it's a whisper, but it's loud. 
it, it, and it and it's and it's uh, chanting almost. It's not really singing. It's like uh, crickets. Uh, uh, has anybody done a Dylan impression yet on your podcast? <laughs> uh, I think I've done. I think I've done one. Okay, uh, yeah. But 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 yeah, you're right. I mean, the the the, the way this is almost got. Again, I know nothing about music, so I may say things that are completely wrong. But it's the 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 beat of this is almost like a metronome. In terms of like all the words are just sung in two or three word chunks. Crickets are chirping. The water is high. Soft cotton dress. Line hanging dry. It's just he. It's almost like he can't get a whole line out because right. this guy is so winded by what's happened to him. And, and I guess that's why it has that cinematic feel. It almost feels like a, like a storyboard, like it, the opening credits of a of a of a dark western. You know these images that he's just saying. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's fun to listen to, and it's creepy, and um, I love it. I put it up there with um, – he does a couple other songs like this. Senor is kind of like this off Street I, Legal. Yes, I would – yeah, that's true. I would say that uh, they are similar. Hollis Brown has that kind of like uh, – I guess uh, – like, hey, I'm going to use it wrong too. Metronomic, it's like a constant like – Yeah, the dung, 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 and it just goes yeah. on for seven minutes like that. Right, yeah. And so it, it, there is a tradition of doing songs like this. I wish he would do it more. You know, it, it's it's fun. To, it's fun that he can do this. I've mentioned this before on the show, maybe even with you, but I I, I saw a thing with uh, Tom Waits many years ago where he said he likes songs that have places in them because it, it feels like in his mind it situates him, and he's like you know, and you imagine that Tom Waits growl where he's like you know there's a bar in his song or i don't know what that is and 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 like this song is just i mean for a song that's only it's only let's see uh five verses i mean again for an epic song it's very short again it sets the place in the beginning and then it talks about preacher was a talk and there's a sermon he gave every man's conscience is vile and depraved yeah cannot depend on it to be your guide when it's you who must keep it satisfied which that jumped out at me as like, whoa. I right. mean, the idea that, you know, you are your only defense against yourself and you can't be trusted because it's you, which is like, whoa, that's, that's heavy. That's heavy and stuff. the idea that a conscience is, is like this thing that needs to be satisfied. It needs to eat. It needs to feed. Yeah. And, on, on like, and, and just the way the song is, it, he, on these vile and depraved things. That, that the song is talking about. Uh, and so you can't be trusted because in the end, when you're alone, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're going to do vile and depraved things. <laughs> yeah, that's, what Dylan, that's what the preacher seems to be saying. And again, you have this great image of a preacher like in a, a you know, an old-fashioned prayer tent, you know, a frontier. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So it's just, now you talk about place. I, I'm going to try to get a little academic here because I was flipping through the Chronicles and you know, for anybody a, who doesn't know, let me give a little yeah. background. Chronicles is uh, was Bob's quote unquote autobiography, uh, which really is not an autobiography. It's really a series of impressions uh, that seem to flit from thing to thing. But there's an extensive amount of talk about recording this album with Daniel Lanois. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that yeah, that's a good introduction to it because even though it's a song that to me takes place out in the West or some frontier, it could be like a, where he, where did he grow up? Like a Minnesota, it could be like a Minnesota frontier. I don't, I don't really know the geography of the West that well, but it was the last song that they basically wrote and recorded. I think in this whole uh, session down in new Orleans with um, Daniel Lanois and in the Chronicles, he talks, he's got these gorgeous images of walking around new Orleans. And a lot of this images 
seemed to be what inspired him from to write Man in the Long Black Coat. I'm just going to, if you don't, if you can bear it, I'm just going to go right ahead. Up. So he's walking around New Orleans at night. And, you know, meanwhile, during the day, he's trying to record this album and he's at odds with Daniel Lanois. But he's, <laughs> he's talking about New Orleans and he says, uh, you know, here, the past doesn't pass away so quickly here. You could be dead for, for a long time. The ghosts race towards the light. You can almost hear the heavy breathing. Spirits, all determined to get somewhere. New Orleans. Unlike a lot of those places you go back to that, that don't have the magic anymore, still has got it. And then later on he says, he's talking about uh, a lazy rhythm. Uh, I'm sorry, a lazy rhythm looms in the dreamy air. And the ap- atmosphere pulsates with bygone duels, past life romance, comrades requesting comrades to aid them in some way. You can't see it, but you know it's here. Somebody is always sinking. Now, you know, like, so he is, I, I feel, you know, he is evoking man in the long black coat when he's writing this. Really. And, and he's got other stuff, too, that's just really beautiful. But that one line, somebody is always sinking, br- reminded me of the, uh, the bridge. You know, the, what, how does, you have the lyrics in front of you. Oh, and he uh, says, yeah, there are no mistakes in life, some people say. It is true sometimes. You can see it that way. People don't live or die. People just float. She went with the man in the long black coat. People just kind of float. I think in live versions, he sometimes adds kind of. <laughs> so, and, um, yeah, so when I say somebody's always sinking, that, 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 that line always kind of stuck with me. People don't live or die. They just kind of float. Mm. And one of the things that always evoked in me is the Stephen King story, It. I don't know if you ever read it. Uh, uh, no, no. I've seen the miniseries, but I've never read it. That came out in 1986. And in that... The Pennywise the Clown is always trying to lure the kids into the sewer. Right. And he's always saying, come on, we all float down here. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really creepy the way he says it, too. But, you know, he's like, uh, they float. You know, come on, Georgie, come into the sewer. We all float down here. Actually, I tried to Google if there's any Stephen King, like, (laughs) reference to him, and I couldn't find it. It's interesting you mentioned the thing about Bob walking around New Orleans, and, and I'm getting a, a little off track here, but, but what the hell. It, I, one of the most interesting, thing, interesting things I find about when I read about Bob, when he goes, I mean, first of all, the man has been everywhere. Yeah. He has literally been everywhere, every corner of the glove. You go to his website and you look at his tour schedule. I mean, it's like, you know, one day he's in New York, another day he's in Reykjavik, and another day he's in Istanbul. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But he is somebody who, from what I've read, likes to walk around the yeah. towns that he visits and he is able to either i don't know what what alchemy he's able to pull off but he is able to sort of walk around these towns that he visits sort of undetected i mean there's a story from a couple of years ago where he got pulled over by a new jersey cop who thought he was a, a crook he yeah. thought he thought he looked sketchy which he does you know with his hoodie up and stuff but i mean it seems that bob is very interested in soaking up the things around him and and then I don't and I don't mean this as a knock on any other musician. I really don't. But it's like I I Paul McCartney can't do that. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen cannot do that. Uh, I mean, it's they funny are, you say that because I think in the New Jersey story wasn't he was looking for Bruce Springsteen's childhood home. Yeah, I think that's what it was. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> he could have just gotten the address, but I'm sure Bruce would have told him. But it's like Bruce Springsteen is too famous. Like Bruce, right. I, I I don't think Bruce Springsteen. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. I don't think Mick Jagger can radiate anything other than I'm Mick Jagger. 
Right. But there's something about the way Bob carries himself, maybe because the fact that he's small. I think Bob is only like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, I think you probably think of him as a bigger figure. But, I mean, it's weird to me to think that if I ever met Bob Dylan, I would tower over him, which yeah, makes no right. sense to me because I, that doesn't – that <laughs> no. But it, it's I mean, kind of funny to think of. Yeah, you know, you know I'd be – I literally – he'd be like a small – you know, he'd be like a woman to me size-wise, but that's weird. But, I mean, like there's something about Bob, maybe the way he dresses because he does tend to dress like a bomb a lot of times. There's, he is clearly – that is something that's important to him is to go to this area and walk around. And uh, Bono, Bono wrote in a, in, a, in a tribute to him years ago that he went and attended a Dylan concert and he was wandering around the floor of the concert hall. Uh, it, was, it was an outside concert and he was wandering around outside and he looks over to the right and there's Bob Dylan riding by on a bike. He's like yeah. – and no one knew it. He's like he wanted to tell everybody, there he is. He's right there. <laughs> So, so your your the 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 stuff you quoted. It's like I can picture that. That is what Bob wants. And to me, to me, having only been to New Orleans once, I don't claim to be any sort of expert to uh, at all, obviously. But I feel like he wanted to soak up the New Orleans ishness of yeah. of what he saw. And I feel like this album does that. This song especially, and that's clearly something very important to him because he then filters it back into the material. This is not a guy who just lives in hotel rooms. Right, uh, you know, he he is out there experiencing weird things, and uh, especially for this song because um, he went to that New Orleans session with a couple songs in his notebook. Um, I think Dignity was in there and Political World and stuff. But this was a song that he wrote while they were recording, and it made it on the album. And I think even other great songs like Series of Dreams, my all-time favorite Dylan song. Yeah, so you know he wrote this there. He, everything about it came up with the idea of this song, uh, recorded it. Did all the ambiance for it right there. It wasn't planned. It was completely inspired by this recording session and this, like, the way he describes it, this old, you know, southern mansion in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan clearly wanted to. He had a new contract with Sony Records, Columbia Records, whatever you want to call it. He wanted to make uh, a difference with this one. And luckily, between Dylan and the Dead and this album, he went and recorded with the Woolberries, which apparently kicked him in the ass creatively a little. And there's that famous quote from George Harrison saying, if the Woolberries did nothing else, it got Bob Dylan to write songs again, so it was all worth it. And, you know, this was the result. Was this one of the great Dylan albums, I would say? And, and of course, he reunited with Lanois less than 10 years later for. Uh, in many ways, an even greater album. So even though this sound and Time Out of Mind's sound is atypical of Dylan, both these albums really work. I think they they clearly butted heads. But, I mean, I can't imagine trying to produce Bob Dylan. It's got to be impossible. Um, right. But at the same time, they clearly brought out the best in each other because, you know, Dylan was happy with this album. He hasn't played this song that many times. It's 286 times in the last 20 or so years. Not a lot. It's probably not a song that works all that well in concert. Maybe. Maybe it needs that atmosphere. To, there's to, a, to there's a run he did. Um, I have a couple bootlegs from 1993 where this seems to be where he played this song a lot. And it becomes a epic song, like nine minutes long. Hmm. Wow. And, and it, yeah, if you ever get a chance to hear it, it, it just keeps driving and driving, and it's and he plays a harmonica on it really well and stuff, and it's uh it's fun to listen to, but I can't picture him ever ever like returning to it. it no, it's, no, it is a deep cut. Not many, not even many Dylan fans. Uh, maybe they only heard it once when they played through Oh Mercy. You know, they don't really know the song. It was covered by. Um... Joan Osborne, she, oh, she covered it, so obviously she's a fan, and they, those two must be buddies because they duetted on a cover of uh, Chimes of Freedom 
for for an album, uh, not a Dylan album, another album. So clearly they're kind of chummy and stuff. So she obviously likes it because she covered it. And it, this cover is fairly similar in terms of the atmosphere and stuff like that. But yeah, and so the song the song ends with the woman still gone, no hope. Nothing. It's just this guy has just been left by this woman. She's run off with this bad guy, whether it's Satan or somebody else or the Jack of Hearts or Blackjack Davy. It's somebody. She's gone. She ain't coming back. And this guy knows it's all over. It's 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 not a it's not a fun song. But, no. boy, but boy, is it listenable. I mean, I put yeah. it on just before we recorded this to hear it one more time. I'm like, man, this thing is just like it's not. I don't know if the word catchy is the right word. But boy, you just get sucked into it immediately. It's just yeah, it boom, creates a world, like yes. a soundscape. And the song, see, to, to me, I think this is part of his, his you know, it, it, it harkens back to his folk tradition. The, the basis of the song, to me, now, according to Dylan, and he mentions this in Chronicles, and it gets quoted a lot, that he considered this, this song his, uh, his I Walk the Line, his <laughs> of I Walk the Line with Johnny Cash. And I actually, today, in preparation of the show, I, I Google the lyrics to I Walk the Line, and I can't see any correlation to the lyrics. And I think maybe he's talking about the Johnny Cash persona, this man in the black, you know, mm-hmm. that he was. This really, what would you say in another show, that he, looked, he was like a tree, you know? Yeah, yeah, he looked at, yeah, he looked at Johnny Cash like he was a big tree. Yeah. I, I, but the, the, the plot of the song goes back to old folk songs. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a folk song scholar. But it goes back to um, a song called The Demon Lover. Right. Which is a, a tale that's told of a man who comes across a wife and seduces her and promises her, you know, you know promises her whatever she, whatever she wants, you know, and to forsake, you know, will you forsake your house and home? Will you forsake your children and come with me? And, of course, she does, and it turns out he's taking her to hell, you know? Sometimes it involves a, a ship. And uh, sometimes it involves a train uh, in more modern versions. And uh, he's, played, he's done that kind of version of the song a few times. He did it in Tin Angel, which is, mm-hmm. and then he covered Black Jack Davy, which is another version of that song. That's like a cowboy version of the Demon Lover. And he played it a, uh, a house carpenter, which he used to play in, you know, in his folk days. And there's a great version of House Carpenter on uh, the bootleg version of Self-Portrait. This idea that, uh, you know, the seducer comes along and takes a, a woman away from her family only to lead her to hell. This version of the song is not about, isn't through the point of view of the, the Black Jack Davy character or the woman. It's from the point of view of the people she left behind, the, the town. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's like sh- she's gone. She, she didn't even leave. She never said nothing, not even a note. She's gone <laughs> with the man in the long black coat. So he took this plot of the demon lover uh, or the house carpenter and he told it from the point of view of the people she left. Mm. And it's really, it's really fun to think of it that way. And let me tell you something. And you know what? I just remembered. Zimmerman in German means carpenter. No. You make, you know? oh. So I bet I, I, yeah, there you go. We solved it. We solved <laughs> the mystery. Yeah. Done and done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tremendous song. It's a tremendous. It's, it's I think every song on Oh Mercy is great. I would great. say Side One is a little better than Side Two, and this is a great way to end it. So it's a, it's a terrific, spooky, great little song. Yeah. Now and then I was looking up Daniel Lanois, and he says about Oh Mercy. He says the whole album, and this is a quote, has something to do with the pushing and pulling of the moon. At nighttime, we're ready to be more mysterious and dark. Oh Mercy's about that. 
Very interesting. All yeah. Right. Interesting. All right. I think that's going to do it for Man in the Long Black Coat. It's I said I said it's it's terrific. It's spooky. It's weird. It's a one of the great late period. I I put late period in quotes because the man seems to want to live forever. Has every intention to live forever. So <laughs> it technically isn't late period at this point. So, but it is really one of one of his great songs. So, uh, John, thank you so much for coming back on the yeah. show, man. I always love come having you come on and talk, Dylan. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah, and uh, Rob, happy birthday. Today's your birthday. Uh, probably when you. Released when you post this, it's not going to be your birthday anymore. But I hope you're having a great day. I am. It's it's any day I get to talk about Bob Dylan's a good day. So why not why not do it on my birthday? So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, thanks everybody for listening. As always, you can find the show over on the website firewaterpodcast.com. You can leave comments there and find it over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And please leave a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. So thanks everybody listening. John, thanks for coming back on, and we'll see yeah. you guys later. Bye. There's smoke on the water It's up in there since June Tree trunks uprooted Beat the high crashing moon Feel the pulse and vibration And the rumbling force Somebody is out there Beating on a dead horse She never said nothing There was nothing she wrote She gone with a man in the long black hole